right. All right, this morning, I'm just going to share uh, briefly this morning from and to, for us, for God to give us a greater understanding of the epistle to the Hebrews and how, how and why that was written and how it can apply to us today and how we can use it to continue uh, to go forward and not to settle down in this world system. The greatest temptation for the believer, especially in the times that we're in right now, is in some form, either in ignorance or rebellion or stubbornness, to settle down in this world system, to settle down. Remember, the whole time that, and again, the book of Numbers was written because the, the book of Numbers was written, of course, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, Six and 11, and in Romans 16 and verses 4 and 5, it was written for us. It was written for us to learn by the types. They were led out of the captivity of the bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh. So many times we've learned these, these types, and they bear repeating again and again for us. Because we constantly need to be renewed in, in our minds in Ephesians 4 and verse 23 and also in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So God delivered Egypt, uh, delivered Israel from Egypt, in, of which they were in bondage for 400 years because of their sins. Literally, because of that. And so, as a result of that, we see that in Exodus 12, 1 through 13, they were delivered by the Passover lamb and going through the Red Sea in Exodus, the 14th chapter. But they were, he led them out. And that is a type of what Christ has done for us. He has led us out from under the power of Satan, who was a type of Pharaoh, and has led us out of Egypt, the world system. And we are in the wilderness, that particular world, that world system on this earth right now, that is under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. He's the prince of this particular world, ruler in this sense, and God's... Uh, allowing it to come to its complete end in John 12, 31, and in John 14, 30. So God has led us out, and we are, like Israel, we are in the wilderness. And Jesus said in John 17 and verse 14 that he was in the world, but he wasn't of it. See, there's a difference. When it says world there, it's the system of Satan under his control for God to obviously bring that to an end in final judgment of which he will do, of which there are many, many scriptures that teach us that. Neither are we now, because we are in Christ in John 17 and verse 16. So we are in this wilderness world system as Israel was on the earth. They were on their way to the promised land, to Canaan, 
we are on our way to our promised land and all the promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20 are yea and amen in Christ. And he is our dwelling place. That's why we're to allow the word that Christ is to dwell richly in us in Colossians 3 and verse 16. So we are on our way. And that's why it says that in Hebrews 13 and verse 14. For here we have no continuing city. But but we, we look for one to come. We're, we're on our way. But the great temptation for us as believers, because of trials in 1 Peter 1, 7, and Job 23 and verse 10, they bring out the gold that Christ is in us. And like Israel, the Jews, those millions of Jews, they're in the wilderness, and they were a tent people. And we see this in Numbers, the 10th chapter. They were a tent people. They didn't have a foundation fixed to this earth. They were continuing to go forward, to go forward. And the great temptation for us as believers in Christ is because of trials, because of persecution, because of our struggles, because of the enemy in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 even into the 19th verse, the temptation is to settle down in the world. Remember what, when Moses, when he was crying out, when the people were murmuring and complaining, once they were completely out of, out of, out of uh, Egypt, then he, he was told, like the Lord tells us, the battle is the Lord. We're to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Exodus 14, 13. We are to stand still and see what Christ has finished for us in John 19, verse 30, based upon John chapter 4 and verse 34. He's finished the work. He fulfilled the will and finished the work, fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. But we are to go forward. We are a tent people. We are a tent. We dwell in these tabernacles, these human bodies here, and we are going forward through this. And we said the other day, we're passing, we are, we have the glory of Christ in us in Colossians 1.27. He's been glorified now, and how did he get there? He got there through sufferings, righteous sufferings, by the way, not through sin, but righteous sufferings, and we go through sufferings on our way to glory. But the enemy comes in and tries to wear us out in Daniel 7 and verse 25 and to cause us to settle down, to quit experientially, and to settle down in the world, in this world system. To look at things by sight, to look at the world system by sight, to look at ourselves apart from Christ by sight. And it's so easy for us to forget, to forget everything that Christ is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. The great temptation in some measure is to settle down in the world system. Well, everything about creation cries out, Jesus Christ is our creator. This is Psalm 19, 1 through 6. All of it. And then you read Job, the 28th chapter. All creation cries out. If you're looking for something other than Christ, going 
through the wilderness. If you're looking for something else other than Christ, you will settle down in the world system just like Cain did. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16, it says he went out from the presence of God. When we forget the presence of God, do we have the joyous experience of his love for us in Psalm 16 and verse 11? Why? Because we, we stopped having the Lord before our face, Jesus Christ, in Psalm 16 and verse 8. So then we settle down in the world. It could be something that we go through and get weary and tired. It could be those that we see of our loved ones and what they go through and what they are. And it can cause us, it can cause us to settle down in the world and to forget that we are a heavenly people and not an earthly people. We can forget God so easy to do. And it can be so difficult to get back into thinking with him. That's Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through, through 3. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 2 says, set your mind on things above. Listen, not on things of the earth, not on your details, not on the details of life. You will see this in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and it starts with prayer, which always teaches dependence. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 34. Otherwise, when we don't depend upon him, keep our eyes heavenly, heavenly, then this is where all these struggles and things cause us to try and make an escape. That's why it's very important that no matter where we go and what we do, we are to be directed by Jesus Christ. We're not to do anything with our back turned towards him but facing him. We're to face him now through his word and through, through obedience and not delayed disobedience, but instant obedience as he gives us the word. And so again, in Numbers, the 10th chapter, they were a tent people. They went by the trumpet. This, the trumpet there was silver, which always speaks of redemption and God's continually leading us on with the life that's ours, a redemptive life bought back from Satan, bought back from the world system of which we are to have nothing to do with. But oh, there's so much teaching out there that is not of Christ, that is not of his word, that tells us it's okay to settle down in this world to settle down in ease and comfort. Well, Christ is our pattern in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. And he suffered. You see it in Hebrews, the second chapter. You can look at it in verse 9 to 18. He suffered many things and, and with tears and crying in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10, but doing it in a way, of course, not in the same way that we do, but the way that we do it is dependence on him. Somehow we think that, and the enemy causes us to want to think that the way out of all this is to escape it. Let's go here. Let's do this thing. Let's go on vacation. Let's do these things. There's nothing wrong with those things unless, uh, unless God, through Christ, by the word, by the Holy Spirit is leading us to do those things, but not to settle down. You see in the type, the Jews were a tent people. 
You see that in Numbers, the fourth chapter? And then the word, which was the trumpet, a certain sound that it gave, they were to sit still, stand still in Exodus 14 and verse 13, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See your deliverance. See it. For the battle is the Lord's, not ours. You see, that's another way the enemy tries to get us to settle down and quit experientially because of the spiritual battle and this conflict that we're in in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 19. We are in a conflict. The whole time Jesus walked the face of the earth to finish the work, which only he could do, he was in continual conflict and there was continual suffering. We all have that part. We all have that part. God doesn't, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable in the world, but to be comforters of others, to lead them forward out of this world system as we go forward looking for our city where, where Christ himself dwells in our heavenly home that Jesus spoke about in John 14, 1 through 3. He said, let not your heart be troubled in John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart, your mind be troubled, neither be afraid. Do you believe in God? Then believe in me, his word. I told you I'm going to go away, but I told you I'm preparing a place for you. And that's what we're on. We're on our way through suffering to glory. That's why in Romans 8, 18, for I reckon it says that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and on us and all around us in our private, intimate fellowship with Christ in Revelation 2 and verse 17 that we will all share around the throne of the Lamb and, and singing the eternal song of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. We see these things clearly. Christ, my God, it says, will supply all your need, singular, according to his limitless riches and glory. Listen, it is by Christ Jesus and no other way. No other way. We have already escaped this world system positionally, but now we need to have that done experientially and not settle down. You see, they were a tent people. Again, this is. This is brought out in Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers teaches something to us as we look back and learn from the types. We learn it, that there was conflict. There was constant conflict there. But for us in Christ, as they were God's people and he was leading them to their Canaan, their promised land, there's conflict but progress. There's constant. That's what it is with us. We have conflicts. And the enemy comes in and tries to bring in all kinds of conflicts to get us away from Christ experientially and to settle down in this world and to quit in some measure. Well, Romans 14, 22, happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. And he that doubts is damned if he eat because he eats not of faith dependence. Faith, whatsoever is not of faith dependence and going through is sin. And to him that knows to do good, in James 4 and verse 17, to, to him, and does it not, to him it is sin. And the enemy wants us to settle down 
in some form of sin, some form of disobedience, some form of ease and comfort, and to quit and to not remember that we are passing through suffering. Let me read it. And here it is. And I will read this. And then we'll get back to Hebrews and understanding the epistle of Hebrews and having right understanding because there's a lot that's been authored about it that's completely wrong. Completely. Here is Philippians, the first chapter. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Only let your conversation, the proof of your citizenship, by the way, be, be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that when I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. Stand fast. Listen, men, initiators, Stand fast, quit, stand, watch, it says, watch. Be careful of the enemy coming in to cause you to quit, to settle down in some form of ease and comfort, relaxation, to lose our grip. Luke 18, 1, men should always pray and not faint, especially men. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8, I will that all that men everywhere, males everywhere, lift up holy hands without wrath, and without doubting. And so to let your whole lifestyle be of that, that you stand fast, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? What he's working in you, what he's finished about you in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. And when, it's, when he's working in you, through you, being humbled and receiving that grace, it keeps out Philippians 2 and verse 14, the murmuring and the outright complaining, talking to each other about the murmuring thoughts we had, but then confessing them and calling it fellowship when it is not fellowship in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Here it says this, that with one mind, steadfast, in one spirit, listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable on the foundation that Christ is. Always abounding in the work of the Lord is in, in as much as you know that your endeavors, your labor, but it's really endeavors in the Lord are never empty. They have eternal purpose. And here it says it here. Here it is again, that in one mind in Philippians 1, 27, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, endeavoring, not striving in terms of flesh or works, endeavoring together for the faith. All those teachings about the person of Christ, who he is and what he's accomplished, the faith of the gospel. That's good news. Good news is who Christ is and what he's finished about you and I. As he leads us through this world system. You see, he was leading them through. They were to rest at times. They were to rest, and this is with the word and meditation in Psalm 39, 1 through 5. There's rest and meditating on the word. And then there's times to continue to go forward, to go forward in your circumstances and situations. You see, Christ is to be our guide 
through the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that leads us through these circumstances and situations. And when we forget him and settle down in the world through something that the enemy brings against us, what do we do? The circumstances and situations become my guide and not Christ in them, guiding me through. You read it in Psalm 23, 1 through 6. But here it says this in Philippians 1 and 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you it's your deliverance. He's continually delivering us experientially based upon our position in Christ to you of salvation and that of God. You see, our deliverance is of God. It's not in things. It's got nothing to do with the world system or Satan. For unto you, this is each of us, listen, unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, to trust in him fervently in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, to trust in him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me, as Paul is speaking through the Philippians, the Holy Spirit through Paul as a vessel uh, spoke to Paul that personally, and now he's speaking it the same thing to them here. Because we see also here, we see also here in Colossians 1 and verse 24, it says this, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Do you see? We, we suffer righteously, which has been apportioned to us. These afflictions have been apportioned to us in 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. And none of them outdoes Christ in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. He makes a way for us to bear up under it manfully or as a woman in Christ, bear up under them and come out victorious in our experience because we see him and our place is positioned and we are a heavenly people. We don't settle on this earth. I don't need anything. I don't need to go on a vacation or take a trip to relax. Christ is my relaxation in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, and it simply means to relax in his love that flows through grace. And then we rest where God himself is resting in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. He is resting in the son of his love where he's positioned us in Colossians 1 and verse 13. So Colossians 1 and verse 24 says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. We do that for each other. We edify each other for the body of Christ, because we're of one mind and one body and one spirit. There are not many bodies. There are many local assemblies that are of the one body of Christ, and he is not divided in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 13. So we all have, as Paul's saying it, to the Holy Spirit through Paul saying it to him and him saying it to us, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind, listen, of the afflictions of Christ as part of our call, in my body for his body's sake. We're, not, we're doing it for Christ, and if we do it for him, we're doing it for those that he loves. And we see this clearly. 
in my body for his body's sake, which is the church, that local assembly that makes up the body of Christ. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fully preach the word of God, to fully preach it. Now, what he was doing, and this would solve a lot of things to understand to understand it, and, and, and I believe it without, without any question about it, as, as I've had been led by the Holy Spirit and shared it in, in certain different messages, that, that the only one that could have wrote and the only one that did write the book of Hebrews was Paul himself. We know the reasons why he didn't, because he was, many still had a problem with him because of his past. They would treat him after his past, and we see it. You want to know what Paul's past was? You read the Acts, Acts, the eighth chapter, and read it into the first few verses in the ninth chapter. And you will see that he, the whole time that he th- thought he was doing God's service in his unsaved state, his standing, and, and as a result, it was his state of his experience, he thought that he was doing God's service by killing the body of Christ in John 16 and verse 2. We see that very clear. So many knew him still, had a problem with him still after his flesh. But the biggest reason why was because he was explaining Christ, who was the apostle, the apostle, the greatest messenger, and our great high priest in Hebrews 3 and verse 1. That's why he didn't put his name there, but he certainly did sign it at the end. Because after each of his epistles that he wrote, He wrote it, grace, mercy, peace, and love. He wrote it in some form, but he didn't put his name there. But what what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, was teaching these, these Jews that were once in Jewishness, that completely lost all of that through being in Christ, who was the end of the law for their righteousness, in Romans 10 and verse 4. and. They were to go through this time of suffering because this time is a time of suffering and conflict. It's not a time to settle down in ease and comfort in this world system that's still under the sway of Satan. And sometimes there's a lot of teaching that will tell you it's okay. Listen, it's not okay. It is not okay. We're on our way to our heavenly home, we're passing through. We're not settling down. We hear the silver trumpet, the redemption, redemptive trumpet. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. But there are many other voices that say it's okay. Privately interpreting the scriptures and telling believers it's okay to have a way of escape of that suffering that is ours in Christ. And it's not okay. As a matter of fact, it's very dangerous. And that's what he that's what the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, based upon what Christ had accomplished for him and for them, was telling them that they were in danger of going back to the law. And in some form, when you go back to the law, there's the flesh, and there's where all the lusts of the flesh come out. In Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21, and we see it in Matthew, the 15th chapter, in verses 16 to 20. We see it again in Mark chapter 7, in verses 14 uh, to 23. All that that comes out. And that's what the enemy wants the experience of the believer to do. 
They were in danger of going back. Going back. Listen, we are in a danger. Those, we are of all people, of all people, because of the height of our position in Christ, based upon the epistle to Ephesians with Colossians, but mainly Ephesians, because of the height of our position, we are in more danger and greater conflict than any other people group because of the height of our particular place in Jesus Christ. Our place is not here. Our place is in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's leading us through. So the danger for them was to go back. Many interpret Hebrews, and they will interpret Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and they will interpret Hebrews, the tenth chapter, those verses that become difficult for many, and, and we see that again in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, in Hebrews chapter 10, this is 28 to 31, and there's difficulty. Many have taught that they were Hebrews, but they, they, they put salvation, so to speak. They put it in their mouths, but they spit it out. It's not teaching that at all. They were born again. They were in Christ, but they were going back. You see, so many will teach that, that they were losing because of a loss of salvation, not having it, soul rest. Soul rest. We do rest in his love that he's accomplished for us. We do rest in him. But we don't settle down and rest in this world system with ease and comfort and settling and making our own little world and getting those around us, our own little world. Many tried to do that. They tried to do it with Paul, an apostle, uh, and, and Apollos. They tried to do it with Paul and Apollos, and Peter. And some didn't even need Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 12. And in verse 13, is Christ divided. Many will do that. They will divide Christ to themselves. Bring him. They want to bring him into their circumstance and situation and have their own little thing, their own little place, and, and get a circle of admiration around them. And many try to do that. That's what the enemy wants. But you see, the big thing about that, that explains and does away with all the nonsensical teaching of especially Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and Hebrews, the tenth chapter. They were born again believers, but they were going right back to the law. And when I go back to the law, what is the law? What does the law bring out? The law of sin and death that we've been delivered from in Romans 8, verses 2 and 3. We've been delivered from that. The Jews said to, to Moses, and, and, and as, as God's representative to them, he said, and they said to God in Exodus 19 and verse 8, and Exodus 24 and verse 3, tell us what to do and we'll do it. You see, legalistic teaching. What could they do? What did the law bring out? What does, what does the law bring out? It just is what? Do we rest in legalism? Is there any rest for us there? Is there any rest for us in this world system? In, in our country right now, is there any rest? Is there any place that we should rest and stop short of following Christ through the sufferings that he's given us? And it's coming, even in a greater sense. Christians are the most persecuted group on the face of the planet. And I think the Jews second to that. Second to it. 
but there's no question about it, persecuted, because we are suffering with him. And he never allows us to suffer without him interceding for us in Romans 8 and verse 34 and in Hebrews 7 and verse 25 and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. Listen, Hebrews 7, 25 he ever lives making, he's ever living making intercession for us. He knows when the enemy is tempting us, even before we sin, even before we backslide, he's already interceding for us with his so great love for us. That only flows through grace, that only those that allow the plan of God to humble them, that they can receive that love so that they can rest, not on this earth, not in this world system. Not at all in this world system. Listen, 1 John 2 and verse 15. Now, this, is, this applies, 1 John 2, 15 to 17, applies to 1 John 2, 12 to 14. It applies to babes. You're not to rest in this world, neither the things that are in this world. You're not to do it as a young man, because as an instructed young man, as soon as we forget God, as soon as we do, we get a little bit lazy, we go right back to the world again, right back to the world system again, right back to doubt and struggles and confusion. Is God the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33? No, but of life. Our life right now, that's a portion to us in Colossians 1 and verse 24 and Philippians 1 and verse 28 29 is the sufferings of Christ that he has given us, not suffering for failure and sin, but suffering righteously. And this goes into Romans 8 and verse 18. But it also, all of this truth, goes into our intimate fellowship with him for all eternity and the things that he took us through. And this goes into our eating the hidden manna with him. And him giving us a name and inscribing it upon a white stone in Revelations 2 and verse 17. You see, we are to feed on Christ. We feed on him. In John the sixth chapter, verses 30 to 59, we feed on Christ, not on anything in the world. We are to taste and see that he's good in Psalm 34 and verse 8. There's no good in this world system, only evil. And the enemy would have us to quit like the unsaved world and live just like them, like the things that they like. Listen to the music that they listen to, to the beats that they listen to, to what's they, what they watch on TV, what they want watch, what they laugh at, what they think is humorous. Because in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, they call good evil and evil good. They put light for darkness and darkness for light. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The reason is, is because the light that is ours that dawned on us positionally when we were first saved and had that tremendous joy, now is going out in our experience in Isaiah 8 and verse 20. The, the light stops dawning on us, who we are in Christ. It starts dawning, it stops dawning on us. And then darkness comes in, and we start viewing things by sight and by the darkness of the world system that we submit to, that God has taken us out of. This is what the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, had taught him as the chief of the Pharisees, and you read it in Philippians 3, 1 to 8, so that he wouldn't be found in his own righteousness, which was just absolute evil and sin, 
He's now teaching them and telling them, now once you're in Christ, you're to continue to go forward. You're not to settle down in ease and comfort of this world system. You're not to do that. And then get a circle of Christians around you where everything is supposed to be rosy and we use the things of this world system. And then we think that's fellowship. And that is not fellowship. Fellowship has to do also with, with suffering and reigning with him. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Not only in the future, but of course in the most intense way, which will be brought out again in Revelations 2 and verse 17. But in the most intense way, even now, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. But if we deny him, many will teach this as a loss of salvation, which is not teaching at all. But if we deny him through sin and selling in the world system, which would be sin and not going forward, which would be sin, it interferes and, 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 and stops our intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit because God cannot fellowship with sin. Furthermore, in Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, his eyes are so pure, can't even look on it. But he never removes his eye from us and who we are positioned in his son in Job 36 and verse 7. He never does. He never removes his eye from the righteous. But what happens when I get distracted through the weights when I try to carry suffering without him, in Hebrews 12, 1, uh, lay aside every weight. And because if you don't, it'll lead to a sin that will entangle you, trip you up, you'll quit and just live in the world system. No, look away from all that would distract. In Hebrews 12, 2, look away from all that would distract unto Jesus. He's leading you. He's the file leader. That's what it says in the original. He's the file leader and he's leading you through. But when he doesn't lead us experientially, who does the leading? Who's in control of the flesh? Is the individual? Now the flesh is in us in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. But when we function in the flesh, are we in control of ourselves? In Matthew 6 and verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other. Many go after, many Christians go after the world system and accumulate through money. They make money, and the enemy will use that to cause us to stop going forward. He will use it. What do we use our money for? Is it for ease? And is it for comfort? Or is it for the work of the Lord? The enemy will make it so that it's not. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, there is money. In Matthew 6 and verse 24, and as much as Others don't like hearing it. It's the thing that Jesus spoke about more than any other thing in the Synoptic Gospels, he, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in parts of John, he talked about money more than any other thing. Why? Because the enemy will use it to bring in ease, to bring in comfort. You know, there's a drug for everything, to do away with pain. There's some form of a drug. Did you know that in many cases, Pain is psychosomatic. It doesn't even have anything to do with the physical. But the drugs that we take to do away with it cause the side effects that bring in the wrong kind of pain. This is proven. Look at over 90% of what affects us is psychosomatic. The soul being submitted to the body. That's why the psalmist cried out in Psalm 119.25. My soul, 
My self-consciousness is cleaving to the dust, my physical body of which we were created in Genesis 2 and verse 17. Uh, 2 and 7, I should say. My soul cleaves into the dust. Quicken me, enliven me according to your word. Wouldn't you and I rather suffer righteously than suffering all the negative effects and the negative things that the world, you see, the enemy comes in and tries to deceive us through our emotions, through bad teaching, through no teaching, through stubbornness and rebellion and resisting the truth that we do know, coming to hear the word of God when we have the opportunity. And placing it above everything, by the way. Placing it above everything. Did you know that, that God puts the word, Christ, the teaching through the power of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 138, verse 2? He puts it on an equal plane with his name, with his nature and character. And would we put something ahead of him? Our time? Our finances? What do we use them for? The enemy wants to give those, especially a lot of young people and old that are somehow uh, were in cement, but now they're in concrete. It's almost so hard to change them. No wonder it says in Ecclesiastes 12, 1, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, when the evil days come upon you, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them, but yet stuck in them, stuck in them, because the enemy will use money to pierce Believers through in 1 Timothy 6, 9, with many sorrows. Many sorrows. What do you use your finances for? Can be used by the enemy to pierce you through with many sorrows. Cause you to live just like the world. Call that success. A lot of teaching on that. It's not biblical. Our success is that Christ is in us. You don't get any more successful than that. He supplies all I need, Philippians 4 and verse 19. We can do all things and only do all things through him in Philippians 4 and verse 13. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, the inaffectionate, the affectionate, the wrong affection towards money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. The, the affection that's attached to it is the root of all evil. That's what it says. Holy Spirit wrote it, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. No question. Matthew 6 and verse 24. We need to have a single eye in Matthew. We need to store up treasure in heaven in Matthew 6, in verse 19 and 20, where moth and rust doesn't corrupt it. Doesn't corrupt it. Because in 621 of Matthew, where your treasure is, there is your mind and your thought, everything about you. There is your, there is your heart. There will your heart be also. The inwardmost part of you, that's what it will be after. But if your eye be single, Christ leading us through, having our portion of suffering and believing and trusting. But if your eye, if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light, the preaching and precise preaching and teaching of the word of God. But if your eye be evil, <laughs> your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? What is that referring to? Well, it's, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, Satan is an angel of light. He's the one that brings out Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Isaiah 8 and verse 20. He's the one. Satan is an angel of light. He's the angel of light, but is it light? 
And then he has, he wants us to be his ministers. Christians, to be his ministers. And in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 15, you know how many there are like that? And by the grace of God, through humility and loving discipline and chastisement and, and constantly being yoked up to Jesus, hopefully and prayerfully and trustfully, I don't want that in my life. I don't want to be held captive. And to take the things that Christ means for a blessing for us and for his body, not to use them for the flesh and have the enemy use those to oppose ourselves while the whole time God is for us in Romans 8, verse 31. This is 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. The enemy wants to cause the Christian to quit, to live, go back to the world, to be deceived in, in Revelations 12, 9, and then become an accuser when, when there's light that comes into that darkness and accuse the brethren, those that are the brethren, to, to accuse one another in Revelations 12 and verse 10. That's what he does. That's his plan for us. All to cause us to settle down in this world system in some form. And you know what a little leaven does to the whole lump? Galatians 5, 9, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. And we'll share it a different time. Yes, it's leaven, but in different applications and how it can affect us in both of those applications. Yes, it's leaven in both, but in different applications and how it affects us differently. And there's no question about it. You see, God in his love is leading us through this world system. Remember, numbers, it's conflict, but progress. Growth in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. The enemy wants us to settle down in this world system. Here it is, and we're going to close with this. And then we're going to leave it open for questions. Questions, that's what we want, questions. If there's any questions. In 1 John 2, in verse 14, uh, 2, 12 to 14, even the little children know that their sins are forgiven. The babes, firstborn ones in Christ, know that their sins are forgiven. But how easy is it for us to forget it and go right back into them? Babes, young men, and spiritual dads. That's 1 John 2, 12 to 14. Here we go. Verse 15. Love not the world. Is there, is it, it could, do we love the world or do we lust after it? Love, is God love? Yes. Is there any lust in him? Evil? No. Love not the world. Neither the things, the things that are in the world. Don't use the things of the world that God meant for your blessing and the blessing of the body of Christ for his glory. Neither the things of the world, and they're even more dangerous. If any man love the world, says he does, the love of the Father is not, he's not experiencing that love. And sooner or later, it's going to lead to fear. And 1 John 4 and verse 18, and to some form of torture, punishment, palaces, and to think God is doing it. And, the whole, and to blame God in the whole time is what the flesh is doing. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And these are the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these things are on their way to passing away. But he that does the will of God is going to abide now and abide forever. And will reap it at the Bema seat 
in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and Romans 14, 10 through 12. We'll reap it. And we'll go into intimate fellowship with Christ. God put a difference in Exodus 11, verse 7, in 1 Corinthians 8, in 1 Kings 18, 21. God put a difference between Egypt, people in the world, and those that were his, Israel. He puts a difference to them. And our difference is Christ is in us. And we have him in us. And we don't live like the world. You don't have to live like the world to win them. That doesn't win them. That gives them the ability of a lie to stay there and think that we can take Christ into that and have fellowship. I am so thankful this morning for the love of God. He loves us so much. He wants us to experience his love so much that he's not willing in any area for us to settle down in this world system. And Father, we thank you so much for the depth of your love. For the depth of your love, Father. We thank you so much for your love and that we can rest in it. This was Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews chapter four, one through nine. We're to rest in his love, but we're not to rest in this world system like those Hebrews that were going back to legalism to the flesh and under the power of the enemy. And Father God, you do forbid that we should do that. And you do so in Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. It is not, it is not the cross that we gather to. It's Christ who finished the work on the cross that we gather to. And Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now we can have is there any questions or comments? I uh, loved um, how it was mentioned that where's the conflict, there's <clears throat> the conflict and the progress and how that ties to 2 Peter 3.18. Yes, that's right. And, and listen, listen we, we know about the love that, that Christ loves us with and wants to wash us with. But this is love washing us right now. This message yeah, yeah. is absolutely no question about it. Because oh. we'll sit down and we'll walk in the world system. And that's what Jesus was teaching in John 13, 4 to 10. We need to have our feet washed, not our body. Positionally, we've been born again. But to have fellowship with him, we need to have our feet washed because they get dirty in this world system. And that's by settling down in it. Yeah. The things we take for granted we, the, that we think are okay. They're not okay. They're not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This ease and comfort gospel. God loves us and let's take his love and go right in the world system and rest in the world. No. That is not where God, God's love uh, leaves us or leads us. Absolutely yeah. not. And if it's fellowship around his word, then what in God's name are we doing? What are we doing? Who are we like? Oh, there's so much of that we could settle in. There's whole so-called churches where we can settle right down in that stuff. They're the majority, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelming majority. 
the overwhelming majority. Mm. Yeah. And God's not, he loves us. And he, he, because we are his, and we forget that we are owned by him, by the way. We forget that so easy. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We're not our own. We say so. And then we privately interpret in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, the scriptures, how? Through the world, settling down in some way, chasing this thing and calling it, well, God's leading me and I have felt, oh, really? Really? Come on. You know how many he's cutting out of us? You know how many of those he's cutting out of us? Because each one he cuts, he's getting us ready to go home to be with him. The rest in that love for all eternity. Amen. Oh, big, so huge. And then calling it, God is leading us. Excuse me? Anyway, any question, comment? And what does it mean by what is lacking in the affections of Christ? Read the can, you tell us, can, can you read the verse again? I'm sorry, I can hardly hear you, Jadiel. Colossians 1, 24, I now rejoice in my suffering for you, in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. So my question is, what does it mean? What is well, he, he will fill up what God has given him by grace through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's that he's filled up with. He's going to be able to teach and give to them that is theirs. That they're lacking. Yep. And that brings in that brings in the whole type of manna. Read it. In Exodus, the 16th chapter, and start in verse 13 and go down through. And then you see he, him who took a huge measure, had had much to give them that lack. This is going into and in teaching Ephesians 4, verse 8. Okay? He gave men. He had captivity captive. And that the Greek brings it out better than any translation does, by the way. Because as good as they are... They can be. They're still faulty. Ephesians 4, verse 8, he led, cap he led a whole train of captives captive in his love. That's how we read Ephesians 4, verse 8. Okay. And then he, it says he gave gifts unto men. The men themselves were the gifts that were the apostles, New Testament, the apostles, uh, prophets, New Testament, evangelists, New Testament, and pastors and teachers. What do we have left for the for the gifts right now? Who did God use to complete the canon of scriptures? He used the apostles and their prophets to lay the foundation that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. The foundation has been laid. Now it's evangelists going, winning them and bringing them back to a local assembly. Being taught themselves, not just going everywhere, and it's a great message, but not just going everywhere and not having any, any depth of teaching in yourself. Taking it apart from local assembly and making it that that's what it's supposed to be. It is not supposed to be that way. No, sir, at any realm. Then it says, and some pastors and teachers. It says some, not all. Some, not all. No. And oh boy, how all 
many want to do that. Mm -hmm. I experienced it yesterday. Oh, how many want to do that. Oh, God help us. Help all of us. And you can have the gift of the pastor teacher, but you just as easily can go back into the world without any question about it. And God gave us these gifts, not to elevate us in the flesh, but to humble us in his presence. No question about it. Yeah. No question about it. That's in Colossians 1 and 24, with, with the man in Exodus, the 16th chapter, Christ, the fulfillment of the type in John, the 6th chapter, verses 30 to, to 57. That yeah. That's what it's teaching. Do you see? By the grace of God, he's giving us the precise teaching of the word. Do you think most want that? They do not want it. Amen. They don't want it. Feels like, it's like the, it, like you said, with the washing of the feet, it just feels, you just, just feel washed. This is awesome. Nothing like being pure and clean. There's nothing like going to bed at night, clean and pure, a pure, undefiled conscience. Nothing like Conscience that needs to be dealt with. And we're all growing in that too. Yeah, amen. 